0: You're listening to The Gathering Church podcast. Located in Asheville, North Carolina, The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor and it is so good to have you with us here today. It's a good day to be here. If it's your first time with us, welcome. We're just, we're just so honored to have you. You know, we really believe that this church is like a family and it's a dysfunctional family at times. It's not always a perfect family, but this is a great place to belong. It is a great place to grow. It is a great place to go through life. And so we're honored to have you. We're glad you're checking it out. And, And welcome. Um, Welcome to everybody joining us online. We're so honored that you're with us as well. Thank you for being a part of church this morning. Well, today, before I get into it, I want to talk just for a minute. Last week, I announced our legacy offering coming up on December 6th. And if you don't know what that is, once a year, we take up an offering that's above and beyond our regular tithe or giving that we use simply to accelerate the mission and vision of our church. We dedicate a portion to our community, a portion to global missions, and a portion to the mission and vision of the Gathering Church. Now, it is a funny year to be talking about stuff like this. I know that. We know that as a church. But we believe that God has so much more for us than than we understand or know. And last year, we had a very successful and amazing legacy offering. And one of our goals with that was to begin to move towards a permanent facility As a church and we were close to acquiring one this spring and then everybody's plans changed and just like the rest of our city as a church we felt the pinch of this season but God has been good and you've been so generous and so I just wanted to honor you for a moment and let you know that because of your faithful generosity this year we haven't had to cut any partnerships we've been able to bless and serve our community regularly We've been able to continue the ministry of our church and we've even taken on new partnerships and new organizations that we're partnering with just to make a difference here in our city and around the country. And so we're so grateful for you. Today, I want to just highlight for one minute the, the first, which one, first of our legacy lanes, our legacy offering. We, we call it legacy lanes, three different areas this year that we will be dedicating those funds towards. And the first one is one that we have literally been talking about until we're blue in the face. And I'm going to go one more minute and then we'll move on to something else next week, okay? But guys, for the last, you got to understand that for the last two years... We have been praying. I mean, we have been on our knees asking God to bring us into a strategic partnership here in this city that was solely focused on responsible, sustainable, long term service in the underserved communities of our area. Not just a nonprofit organization, which there are some good ones here in our city, but one that would work hard not only to advance the lives of people in those neighborhoods, but also. To advance the gospel as well as a church, we have a, f- a firm belief that it is not enough to meet physical needs. You've also got to meet the spiritual needs. The Asheville Dream Center is that organization. So, with a portion of our legacy offering, we want to make it possible for the Dream Center to finish their first year well. And with events like the Thanksgiving event that we're doing this weekend, the Christmas projects coming up next month, and more of what they've already been doing through Adopt the Block. For more information about them, you can go to their website at theashvilledc.org. Well, at, at The Gathering Church, you know, we, we, we just don't believe in pressuring you into giving. We're never going to do uh, a spur-of-the-moment offering. I'm not going to preach on money real hard for 45 minutes and then motion for somebody to bring the plate around twice in between. That's not who we are. Our goal is always just to give you the information and present you with the opportunity And we just ask that between now and then that you just pray about it, plan about it, have discussions about it, and ask God for where your part lies. Well, today we're starting a brand new series I'm excited about called All That Matters. All That Matters all that matters. We have a simple spiritual pathway at the gathering. Robbie just said it. We want you to know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. And we just believe that this is the pathway that scripture lays out all throughout the story of what God has for us. And this is a make a difference series. I feel that this year, as we've gone through it together, that there's been a lot of moments, a lot of Sundays where we've had to talk about how we feel during this season and how we feel and and process it together and I think it's time for us to start talking about what we need to do in this season because church we've got a job to do we were created with a purpose and Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15 this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We were created to bear fruit, to make a difference in our communities through love, in action, and the active spreading of the gospel through both our words and our actions. And in doing so, we get to have real joy, complete joy, because nothing is more fulfilling than making a difference. In fact, we believe that this is our absolute purpose. We exist to make a difference. Sociology confirms this. In the middle 20th century, a man named Abraham Maslow came up with a hierarchy of needs, a simple uh, step, a pyramid that would demonstrate our needs from lowest to highest that we're all seeking to fulfill constantly. Now, when he came up with it, he said that the top need, the most important thing for us to grasp and understand, the greatest need every person had was self-actualization or in, in short, knowing who I am, knowing who I am and what, what I'm here for. But over time, sociologists would discover that even when people had met that need, they were not yet satisfied. So they added one more layer to it, transcendence. I need not only to know who I am and why I'm here, I need to use that knowledge to help people outside of myself. And so it just took modern sociology all that time to discover what the Bible's always said. We, we were created to know God, find freedom, discover our purpose, know who I am and why I'm here, and make a difference. And so we believe that we were created and called to be a blessing to others in every way that we can. A blessing to others in our finances, in our actions, in how we spend our time, and overall in how we live. In every area that we are blessed, we are called to be a blessing. But it doesn't always go that way for a few different reasons. One reason is we don't always think we have enough. We think we just don't have enough. We don't have enough, not enough money to go around, not enough time to go around, not enough ability to share. So often, we choose to turn our backs on opportunities to make a difference, because we just don't think we have enough to offer. And there have been many good things to come out of our year in quarantine. We've been forced to spend more time with ourselves, which In some cases has resulted in some self-realizations in some healing it's resulted in coming to know ourselves better many of us have learned to be content with less than we ever thought we needed and we've learned that a slower pace isn't always a bad thing in our culture it's important for us to learn those things those are good things many families have spent more time together this year than any year prior that's a good thing for my family that's been a blessing We've learned to enjoy our time at home with one another and many others have looked out for the interests of their neighbors in ways they haven't before. Taken up the practice of neighboring, being a good neighbor, and it has changed the face of neighborhoods around our country for the better. But there's also another side to that coin, isn't there? For some, the self-realizations that we've had in our moments alone have led to depression, addiction, anxiety, anxiety. For some, instead of healing, there's been self-medicating. For some, the discontent has festered into anger and bitterness. And for many, this year has led us to draw into ourselves more than ever. Our selfishness has grown. We have been scared of this virus and it's led us to look out for ourselves first and foremost by shutting out others, whether or not it was intentional. We're hoarding toilet paper. People out there can't even wipe themselves. We're buying up things that are scarce just because we heard they were scarce, and we want to make sure that we have some. While some learn to look out for their neighbors, others have learned to fear them and resent them. And even if we're somewhere in between those two groups, many of us have grown this mentality that whatever I have... I need to make sure I keep for me there's this story in first Kings chapter 17 about Elijah the country he's he's in is in a serious drought and it's led to a very serious famine there's a scarcity of food all over the country and people are starving and things are getting worse and worse by the day in verse 7 it says this sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land and then the word of the Lord came to Elijah to him Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, maybe it sounds a little bit dramatic, but I think more than a few of us relate to this lady in the season that we're in. Hey, I can't be generous right now. My hours have been cut and my future is uncertain. And I need to make sure that every penny I have stays in my home. Or I can't be generous with my time right now. Serving others puts me at risk to get sick. I can't risk that. I can't afford the time off for quarantine. or I'm afraid of of what might happen. And so we find ourselves in the same last meal mentality of this woman. We only have just barely enough for ourselves. And so how could we possibly help somebody else? But as she is persuaded towards obedience to God, God begins to bless what she has. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. First, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. That jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain upon the land. So he went away and did as Elijah had told her. And there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. I'm not saying that if you give from what you have, God will keep the jar full. The physical jar of flour may not. But what I do believe is that if we are generous with what we have, our, our resources, our time, our ability, who we are, that even if it isn't much, we give God the opportunity to do a miracle both in our generosity and in our homes. And while he may not always keep that jar of flour full, I believe he will keep the jar of fulfillment full in our homes. Because even in seasons of drought, we are created To serve others. And when we do it, God opens up His hand of blessing on us and provides for us in our times of need. But I think the second thing that happens is sometimes we don't see the need, we just don't see it. Another side effect from this year is that we're all wearing masks, right? But not just over our mouths. We've started wearing masks over our eyes. We've gotten so inwardly focused that we're refusing to see the needs in our communities. It's not universally true. So many of you in this church have blown me away this year with your willingness to serve and and to be generous and uh, to give even during a crisis. You've stepped up to serve our community in many ways. You're serving on Sunday. You're serving at the Dream Center on Saturdays. You're a part of events that we're doing to bless our community. This isn't everyone and it's not all the time. But I do think that this is something we're more vulnerable to now than ever before because we're so fixated on our needs that it's just become really easy for us to miss the needs of others. There's this story where Jesus and his disciples are traveling and They've been going to different places on their way to Jerusalem and they've been in Jericho, which is a big city and there's a lot of people. Jesus is ministering to a lot of people and and now they're leaving Jericho and they're on their way to Jerusalem and they've got got some big stuff coming. It is getting towards the end of Jesus' ministry and there's some big moments on the way and so the disciples and Jesus are trying to move through the crowds to get to the other side of this, this crowd to get out of this city and It's kind of like if you're a parent, you know, that last 30 minutes before bedtime, it's just like, let's just get through this, okay? Let me just, please God, let me get through this moment so that I can go lay down on the couch and eat all the snacks I told my kids they couldn't have. Come on, somebody. It's like that. It's like when the last 30 minutes of work, and then your boss comes over and wants to have a one-hour conversation, and you're like, come on now, we got to get out of here. This has got to end. It's that last 20 minutes of a long drive where it just feels like the road keeps stretching out in front of you. You, These guys were ready to go. And as they're moving through the crowd, there's a man named Bartimaeus, and he's blind. And he's trying to get the attention of Jesus, the Messiah, the healer, the one who changes people's lives. And the people around Jesus, they're like, you got to get out of here. You got to move along. Look at what happens. It says they came to Jericho, As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, now you know, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. You're not worthy of his time. He's he's trying to get out of here stop doing that. Stop calling to him. Stop trying to distract him from his mission. He's got important things to do. Son of David, have mercy on me. And it says in verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. I think that verse 51 is one of my most favorite verses in the Gospels. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. You know what I love about it is that it, Jesus is, is he's, got, he's going somewhere. He's, he's going to go sacrifice himself. He's probably going to spend a little time in Bethany and then go into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. And this guy is, is obviously blind. He wants to be healed. It's like Jesus could have done a drive-by, you know. He could have just been like, "Pooh, you're healed. You know, you could see. Get on out of here now. You know, he could, have, he could have just poked him in. Jesus always did weird stuff to help blind people. He could like spit in people's eyes or put mud in. He could have like done like a, a, like a three stooges, doink, right into the eyes. You're healed. Keep going. We he didn't do that. All this pressing in around him, all these personal needs that he had and it says Jesus stopped and he looked at him and I just wonder how many people had actually looked at Bartimaeus that day and I just wonder how many people had actually looked at Bartimaeus in his life and I wonder if he had ever heard the words what do you want me to do for you asked him the question and he just he just simply replies I want to see I want to see, Rabbi. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, and then he followed Jesus along the road. It's so important that even in a season where where we've got to watch out for ourselves a little bit more, I know that, where the world is pressing in around us and there's a lot of stuff going on, it is so important that we We train our hearts and our eyes to see the needs of others, even over our own needs. That's who Jesus is. That's his character. And that's who we're meant to follow. We need to to learn the practice of no matter how quickly we're moving down that road, to stop. Say, I see you. What do you need me to do for you? The third thing that gets in the way is we just... We just put the me over the we. And that's what it all boils down to. We live in a culture that is fixated on me. It was always fixated on me. And that has come to a a head this year. This year's amplified it. We're thinking more about me and less about we than ever. And I believe it's time for us to change that. Because it is not supposed to be me over we. It's we over me. It's we over me. Our student ministry has had that as a slogan now for a year or more. And they've got these awesome sweatshirts that say we over me. Students, if you don't have a sweatshirt, I saw a bunch in a closet in the office. Mike, you'll sell you one. And um, I love that we've been teaching that to our teenagers because I wish that when I was a teenager, I could have grasped this idea that it's supposed to be we over me. I just wonder how much pain I would have saved myself if I could have understood that it's we over me. Because when God blesses us, it's not just for us. And this was true even in the original blessing that God gave to a man, the promise he gave Abraham. Look at the promise he gives Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, verses two through four. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And Abraham says, Hmm, I like that, I'm listening. You got my attention, great nation. We're gonna call it Abraham town, let's go. I will make your name great And you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, uh, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I think when Abraham first heard this promise, just like you and me would have, he fixated on the blessing that was coming to him. Well, I'm going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. I'm going to be a nation. Nation of Abraham coming right up. It's going to be great. And many times to follow those who inherited that blessing, and many times those who followed and inherited that blessing would do the same thing. Would think the same way. I'm excited about the blessing that's on me. About the favor that's on me. About what God's going to do for me. And I think so often we have forgotten that the point of the blessing was to be a blessing. That we're, he's going to bless him so that he could become a blessing and all the peoples on earth would be blessed through you. That same promise that God gave Abraham, we are the inheritors of it today. Galatians 3.14 says, "He He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that's us, that's me, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. His blessing now lives in us. And through the Holy Spirit, his blessing is more powerful in us than ever before. But it is not inside of us simply to bless us. It is not something that was ever meant to stay inside of us that would stop with us, that would remain with us. We have been blessed so that we could become a blessing. Now maybe you're thinking, well, I don't feel very blessed. But the truth is, you are most likely more blessed than you know. Because most of us have more. Most of us have more. More blessing than we see. More margin than we see. More time than we see. More gifts than we know. God gives us more than we need so that we can meet the needs of others. And this is true of everything, including our finances, but not limited to our finances. Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where our money goes our heart follows. That's why the principle of the tithe was given to the church in the first place. It's not just about funding the ministry of the church, it's about sending our hearts in the right direction because we are constantly being pulled to selfishness and generosity reminds us to look outside of ourselves. That's why the New Testament reminds us of this over and over again through every topic, but also through finances. One passage in particular is instructions to a young pastor from Paul on how to lead people who have more than they need. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. Hmm. We put our hope not in the riches, but in him who richly provides. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And in this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I know I'm losing you the more I talk about money, but stay with me for a moment because I really believe this principle has the power to change your hearts rail and I have lived by this belief long before I was a pastor and I felt the change that it's made in my heart and I feel it regularly that's why I'm sharing it with you if you want to begin to live your life outside of yourself I believe it does start in your finances because where your money goes there goes your heart and when we lead with generosity our hearts follow in generosity when we lead with generosity then our hearts begin to look outside of ourselves and onto others. And we begin to take hold of a life that is truly life. Because we don't put our hope in finances, even in this year of financial crisis. Instead, when we lead with generosity, we put our hope in the one who richly provides. And most of us here have more than we need. That's the definition of rich here. Andy Stanley has a book titled How to Be Rich, a wonderful book. And in it, he makes the argument that this passage applies to most of us here in America. Because if you make more than $45,000 a year, statistically speaking, you're in the top 1% of earners on planet Earth. Most of us have more than we need. And what we do with the more matters on a spiritual level. I promise I'm not saying any of this to make you feel guilty. I don't believe that God wants us to feel guilty. I think that's not who he is. I think that's not how he operates or how he works. I believe he doesn't want us to feel guilty, but I do believe he wants us to feel responsible for what he's given us. Luke 12, 48 says, to whom much is given, much is required. And so in this country, most of us are blessed and we're blessed not just for our sake, but rather for the sake of others. Because when we have more, We need to know what the more is for, what the more is for. I learned something from Pastor Chris Hodges at Church of the Highlands recently. He's one of the founders of our organization that our church is a part of, the Association of Related Churches. He's a wonderful teacher. And he's talking uh, in a message about the birthright, the birthright that appears in the Old Testament. And he shared something that I didn't know. The Bible is amazing. You can study it every day and still learn new things constantly. In the Old Testament culture, it was normal for the firstborn son to be given a double portion when his father died as the birthright. I knew that. I always thought that it was just kind of the special privileges for being first. I'm a middle child. Come on, somebody. Every middle child reads that, and they're like, "Mm mm-hmm, of course. Always going to that firstborn. But that's not why he got more. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17 puts this into law, and it says this. He must acknowledge the son of his unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double share of all he has. And that is the first sign of his father's strength. And the right of the firstborn belongs to him. And so the law says that the firstborn gets a double share of all that he has. And it says the right of the firstborn belongs to him. But I was studying this, and the word right of the firstborn isn't the best translation into English. The better translation is responsibility. The responsibility of the firstborn belongs to him. In that culture, if the father died, the firstborn was given more so that, because it was expected that he was gonna provide for those around him. It was now his responsibility to take over for his father and care for his siblings, to care for his mother, he wasn't given more to go out and spend and use and party and buy a boat. He was given more so that he could care for others better. I think so often we forsake that responsibility. Hebrews 12, 15 through 17 warns against what happens when we do. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he couldn't change what he had done. Esau had the responsibility to have more so that he could use it to serve others to care for others. But instead of using that influence and using that blessing the way he was supposed to, he traded it to serve himself. In a moment of selfishness, he said, instead of having this to care for you, I need something for me. I just wonder how often we trade over our more for ourselves. We think about what I want, what I need, my my immediate, my right now, my interest today. Esau did it. And he could have had more. He could have had a, a life where he was a blessing to others, which would have led him to fulfillment and peace and the life that is truly life. But instead, he wanted something temporary and something selfish, something that was ultimately smaller. And he regretted it for the rest of his life. See, I believe we've been given more than we need, more, more gifting, more compassion, more ability. And you've been given that so that you can share it and use it to create an impact on our city and make a difference in the lives of others. Let's not miss out on it, church. I think if you're ready to begin to sow generosity, a good way to do it, is the way God laid out to us by giving through the church so that together through the ministry of the church and the outward generosity of the church, our collected blessing comes together to make a far greater impact on our city than we could ever have on our own. And in the same way, I believe that if you're ready to begin to use your gifts, your abilities, even your time to bless others and make a difference, let me encourage you to join us in the growth track today so we can help you find your place to become a part of the body of Christ alongside the local church. The Bible says that God gifted us all differently because our gifts were made to work together. I do believe that on your own, you can do good. But together, we can make a difference. We can leave an impact on this city. And if we can do it, God's got 12 promises for us in Isaiah that I leave you with today. It's Isaiah 58. And the people of God were were fasting selfishly. They were doing things that were honoring them, that were making the focus on them, bringing the attention to them. They were making it about them. And the prophet Isaiah gave them this word from God. In Isaiah 58, it says, Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that which you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Or is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked, to clothe them, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, and then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear, and then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard, and then you will call and the Lord will answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. This is what we were made for, church, to do away with the yoke of, imp- of oppression, to set people free, to share what we have with those who are in need, to see their needs, to bring forward the hope that only we carry so that it's like a dawn, like a light breaking, just flooding everything with something good and something better than what was before. And here's what it says will happen if we can do this. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you learn, if you learn to break free of the chains that have wrapped around you, if you start to see the world outside of yourself, if you start to see those around you who are in need, if you start to be a blessing because you have been blessed, if you start to share what you have with others, if you start to live the way that he's called us to live, if you spin yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday and the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden whose spring like a spring whose waters never fail, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations, and you will be called repairers of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, it says then you will find your joy in the lord and i will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father jacob for the mouth of the lord has spoken this is what we declare this is what we believe as a church is that when we begin to live the way he's called us to live to not give him a little bit of ourselves to not mostly hold whatever i need right here close to me and keeping it for me and all my gifts for me and all my time for me and all my money for me and i've got to make sure i'm taking care of me if we start to do what jesus did and when we move through that crowd we stop and say i see you if we start to live the way that he's called to live it'll be like light coming into a place of darkness it'll be like a city that's been destroyed being rebuilt brick by brick inside our hearts it'll be like there is a spring that never runs out of water we will feel whole again we will feel full again we will feel a peace and a passion and a fulfillment unlike anything you've ever experienced before it's available to us when we begin to live the way we were created to live, when we begin to make a difference. If you're here this morning and your whole life has just been about you, you've always just lived for you, fought for number one, done what you could to get ahead, and all that's left you feeling is empty and wondering if there's more. The answer is yes, there is more for you today. And if you're ready to enter into that more, it all begins with a simple prayer. And the prayer is like a promise, a promise to say, God, I hear you. I see you and I need you. And so you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. All you have to do is be willing to say, I need you. I will follow you. If you're ready to make that decision, every head bowed, every eye closed, Let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, forgive me for all my mistakes. They are many. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own for so long. Forgive me for all my sin. Lord, I need you. I give you all that I am. I submit my life to you. I lay every gift at your feet from this day forward I am yours in Jesus name Amen Amen The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team want to get involved? fill out a connect card online at gatherashville.org find us on Facebook at the Gathering Church or on Instagram at gatherashville